This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Hello, and welcome to All Planes Considered. I'm your host, Fitzwalker, and joining me is Lee Ray, the perennial baseball fan. Hello. And also joining me is Terry Dunn, who is not a baseball fan. Good day. Thank you for joining us. Today on All Planes Considered, we will be talking about the F-8 Crusader from Freewing, and we also will be talking about the UMX Aero Commander 1. But first, a note from our sponsors. This show is sponsored in part by Planes and Things. It's not just planes, it's things. But it's not just things, it's planes. As several people were clicking on the podcast, going, what, did I click the wrong button? Where's RC Roundtable? So, what were you emulating there? Is there some NPR show? Or yeah, something? it's called All Things Considered. Oh, okay. I did All Planes Considered. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, hey everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the RC Roundtable. Yeah, we're a little more exciting than that, but I thought that'd be a fun intro. Uh, I guess I was listening to NPR or something the other day and kind of thought that up in traffic or something. I don't know. And we shot it down. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> Comedy is not my forte. And you labeled me as a non-baseball fan, but I lost a lot of sleep this past week cheering for the Astros. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool. I guess it worked. Yeah, I guess that was, uh, you know, for those who are not in Houston, uh, I understand this was their first ever win of the uh, Super Bowl. No, wait. I uh, apologize to our <laughs> listeners for the gentleman the who just Cup. said, as I think or as I believe, you have no idea what's going on with the Houston Astros. So I don't think you're entitled to talk for their fits. <laughs> uh, no, because I, <laughs> I guess I should admit that I was too busy watching Star Trek when the game was on. I'll, I'll follow with Vince. I believe it's been 56 years <laughs> for the Houston Astros. This is their first World Series championship. We were in the World Series in 2005. I unfortunately attended the 2005 fourth game in Houston and watched them lose. And it was a very sad day. But this was wonderful. If I if I had the money and, and tickets, I would have gone to L.A. to watch this. And boy, thanks Thanks, Houston Astros, for making this city uh, excited again. Yeah, it's a nice change of pace from the flooding misery. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, somebody's a, a little, a nice bit of distraction of people's spirits and that kind of stuff. Hopefully, it won't make them insufferable for the next several months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Golly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's pretty good. That's uh, good for them. That's that's uh, that's fantastic. It is. <laughs> Let's talk about airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we talk about airplanes, I guess we uh, heard some some really sad news recently. Lee, you want to tell us what happened uh, about a fellow podcaster? Yeah. Um, ben actually knew this gentleman, and he talked to us at best. But we knew that uh, uh, Michael Hancock he had been uh, sick, and uh, you know. Ben had the privilege of being able to uh, be with him during another recording on another podcast, and uh, I think he'd been on other shows too. But um, unfortunately, uh, Michael passed away due to cancer. And if you've ever had an opportunity to listen to him uh, on the Crashcast, his own show, he's got a wonderful radio voice. He's easy to listen to, and Even I have better than Fitz's. No, oh, <laughs> way way better than Fitz's. Sorry, Fitz. Um, really nice, very easy to listen to. Uh, I did enjoy his show. Um, and we, we lost a nice, a nice, uh, hobbyist in our industry. So just wanted to send out my uh, condolences to all his friends and family. Uh, really did like him. And, and I, I'm, ex I say I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I think, uh, some of the other podcast shows he'd been on, they're going to keep his, uh, website, running and copy all his uh, podcasts so they'll they'll continue to be used in syndication oh that's very nice i understand he gave one last podcast just shortly before he passed he did and and i'm i'm looking for it i thought someone sent me a leak and i'm i'm trying to pull it up so if not we'll we'll have it up on our our site but uh yes he did it was a a live youtube showing and yep i found it right here so uh we'll uh we'll post that out for people to see and there's also a fundraiser to get an AMA brick for him. 
and we can post a link to that as oh, well. Oh, nice. So thank you, Michael, for, for your help keeping people interested in the hobby. I know you've done a lot of people help, and we'll uh, we'll try to keep the uh, the podcast excitement rolling for you. All right. Well, that's uh, very nice, Lee. Thanks for saying that. And uh, uh, all the condolences to the family. Uh, I guess it's uh, enough sad news for today. Let's uh, move on to, uh, I guess, uh, uh, a couple of new things that popped up. Uh, I guess first we'll talk about the F8 Crusader from Freewing that just popped up. This is, uh, it was funny when I saw that on the forums that Freewing F8 and I immediately uh, uh, just just jumped. <laughs> Did he jump? Did you break the keyboard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Fitz. Did we send the link to you first? Because I know I think I copied both of you guys, or did you catch it before I, I sent it to you? No, I caught it before you sent me to it. I, I was oh. poking in the forums. I saw the <laughs> header, and I was like, I was, I was about to, you know, how fast can I click by? And then I find out it's it's a little one. <laughs> it's a little one. <laughs> it's a little one. Well, oh. little is relative. Well, it's okay. I mean, it's not bad, yeah. but. I was hoping for a nice 80 millimeter, 90 millimeter retracts lift wing mechanism, super. Sure. And instead, it's a it's a small uh, hand launch, although it has wheels, uh, optional, optional wheel, optional wheels, which to be honest look kind of terrible. But uh, <laughs> uh, but it, the plane itself actually looks very nice, and it's a nice little size hand launch. It looks like it's super easy to hand launch the thing, uh, and with 64 millimeter fan, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yes. And I forgot the exact size of the thing, but, uh. 3S. 3S, although some people are saying they can squeeze 4S in there, I think. Do you uh, have to change the motor to do that? Uh, that's not clear. Some people were saying yes, and some people were saying, I think you could just barely use the motor on it on 4S, but. Okay. Um, the guys were talking about switching out the motor and fan, so I guess probably not safely. Right. Or you take, it's, 50-50 chance of smoking it if you do a 4S. Uh, right. um, but I forgot, I uh, wish I had remembered to get the size. Oh, there we go. It's got a 21-inch wingspan, so it's pretty small wingspan, <laughs> but, you know, it's an F8, so it's probably twice as long as the wingspan. Right. Uh, so Have you ever seen a real F8? Yes, I have. Yeah, there's a few around at museums. They're impressive. I think I've seen a couple. One, I think, in the Navy Museum in Florida, and I believe there was one on the when I went in San Diego Air Museum. Not sending it was the um, aircraft carrier that's out there. I think has one on the deck. Okay, um, I love seeing one because I, I take all the different kinds of pictures of it and uh, even the wing lift mechanism and stuff. Because for some reason it's one of my favorite of the uh, Century series. No, not Century uh, of the old uh, uh, fighter jets. I always thought it was kind of neat. And uh, and they even call oh, it they the, call it the last gunfighter. Yes, yes, it was kind of the last real true. Dogfighting jet before moving on to the F-4 and those kind of planes that were missiles mainly. Um, and for some reason, I can't remember why, but they weren't used in Vietnam for very long. Kind of just a little bit in the beginning and then they were phased out pretty quickly. Oh, I thought seems, they were there for a while. Uh, from what I remember, not really all that long. Uh, it seems strange because it seemed like that would be, you know, a great platform to duke it out with MiG-21s and 17s. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's funny. When I think of Lee, I think of P-38s. When I think of Fitz, I think of the F-8 Crusader. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think about when we talk about Terry? <laughs> <laughs> Things that shouldn't Mayhem. fly. <laughs> Things that shouldn't yeah. fly. <laughs> Those magnificent men in the flying machine. Hey, did you happen to see how they uh, they link the ailerons and elevator? I did, and I can't say that I'm a fan of that. Why wouldn't you just do tailorons? I I don't know. Uh, yeah, that was the second thing I wasn't impressed with how they had this this long uh, connector rod from the ailerons to the tail. Um, I'm sure so they had the two reasons. servo setup. Yes, one servo on each side does the ailerons and the full flying elevator at the same time. Yes. So when you roll, you're also getting. Or I guess, no, when you pull elevator, you're also getting spoilers at the same time. Yes. And you can see that in one yeah. of the pictures where you have has a lot of up elevator. You can see the reflex in the ailerons, and it's kind of unusual. I don't know why they did that. Um, it's interesting, and it seems to fly okay, but I wasn't a fan of that. I didn't like seeing the big rod coming out from under the wing to the tail. It seemed awkward, personally. 
Yeah, and I'm sure other models have done that. I think some of those small 50 millimeter setups did the same thing. Yes, so I've seen I, that I before. It's, yeah, it's awkward, but it, it works okay. Uh, yeah, like I guess the reasons maybe weight or cost. Who knows? And it's a pretty inexpensive right. plane. I think ready to fly receiver ready. What hundred bucks? Oh yeah, that's really cheap. Yeah, uh, so that's okay. So you just add a receiver and a 3S lipo and bada bing. Yeah. So kudos for them to come out with a nice little plane. It looks very nice, but I hope they come out with a nice big one. Then they'll take my money. Oh, so you're not going to get this? Uh, uh, you'd have to convince me. You know what, Fitz? I have a solution. What's that? You buy two of them and then hook them together. Make a twin. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's an F-16. <laughs> what? <laughs> have you seen an F-16? I, I have. I'm, I'm totally two kidding. <laughs> Oh, F-16, I get it. Oh, See, you did it to my J-3. You called it a J-6. But no, take take two of the F-8s and just, you know, slide them together. See what you get. No, that could be fun to, to really hack one together, two together or something, make some weird contraption. Yeah, now you got a 128 millimeter fan. <laughs> you guys have seen the ones where they do, like, uh, demonstration team set up, right? Oh, like all in formation? formation, yeah. Now, that could be fun. Get, like, three of them, mount them together. Eight. Eight. I say eight. <laughs> That's uh, that's a hundred bucks a piece. Right? Yeah, that's a little pricey. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> and who's going to hand launch that? <laughs> Keith, Keith will. He's he's good at hand launching. <laughs> so, Fitz, I just assumed you were going to get one of these and hack in your variable incidence mod. You know, somebody already did that on the oh, forum. Really? Somebody got one early, got it pretty quickly, and lo and behold, they they put a little servo or something in there, and a wing pops up and down. Uh, did you reply first? <laughs> I should have. But no. Too late, Slowpoke. Although for a hand launch plane, it seemed kind of pointless. The reason why they did that in the real one is because it was so low to the ground and had such a long tail, it couldn't pitch up like a normal plane as much. Right. So, uh -huh. so it, it's nice and neat, but it kind of wasn't really needed for a little hand launch plane. But it's cool well, to see it. It's a novelty. It. Let's let's face it. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool. So look, let's clarify here. You did that mod on what was it, House of Balsa Glow version? Yeah, House of Balsa had the, a Glow version of the A7 actually, so from oh, some okay. years ago, back in the '90s, I guess, for a while. Uh, it was all Balsa kit, and what I did was I, I lengthened the nose, and then instead of being a tractor, I put the electric motor in the tail, and added a wing lift mechanism, and hacked in retractable landing gear. So it was a pretty major kit bash. But it ended up flying really good. Is it still with us? It's still with us, yes. It's sitting in the garage looking sad and depressed. Because it doesn't get flown? Yeah, yeah. I haven't flown it in probably a couple of years. Hmm. It's just been a while. Well, there you go. But I was really happy with how it came out. Yeah, it was a neat project. So anyways, that was pretty neat for that uh, the pop-up. and it seems like these guys are real busy over there. Coming up with designs, I'll be look forward to see what else they come up with. Yeah, right. Next on the agenda is the we talked about it last time, I think the UMX Aero Commander. So, yeah, you've got one in your grubby little hands. Yes, it just came in this week. I picked it up a day or two ago, and uh, uh, like I said, I had reserved it from the local hobby shop at uh, Samato Hobbies. Plug, plug. <clears throat> uh, and lo and behold, yeah, for all your hobby needs, for all your hobby needs, come to. Uh, uh, but it was it was uh, in a fairly big box. I was surprising how big the box was. But the plane comes all in one piece. It's literally nothing to do except plug your battery in and bind it. Uh, and all the decals are already applied. The few that it has, everything else is painted. Uh, it's were they on straight? Best I could tell. There's hardly really any decals. It's just uh, some black striping. I think is the only decal I noticed. Everything else is painted. And. And what? And anything good yet? Have you throttled up those engines? No, I haven't had a chance to even bind it. It's, oh my goodness! It, I'm what sorry. What's wrong with you? I, I I didn't get home till late last night. I was busy, and I've been busy today. Uh, you I, could say you were watching the games, but we already know that's a lie. Yeah, yeah, that was a lie. <laughs> Terry would have had that throttle, uh, you know, mod already done. The parking lot of the hobby shop. Yeah. <laughs> Pop the trunk uh, uh, and start working. 
Can you confirm my hunch that there's enough prop clearance to slide on the belly? Oh, yes, there is. Uh, yep. Yes. Looks like you got roughly maybe half an inch of clearance. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, if it's grass, it's going to probably chew grass a little bit, but there, technically there is, but I don't know how much, if it's enough, if you got any type of grass, we'll see, I guess. Uh, the landing gear comes pre-installed with a steerable nose wheel. Uh, supposedly you can pull it out. I tried a little bit, but it's in there pretty good, so I'm going to be really careful when I pull it out. Uh but it's nice. I recently flew one of their UMX F-16s that has a removable steerable nose wheel. Yeah. And the nose wheel was tough to pull out of the mount. So that, that's okay. a feature, I guess. So, yeah. So I'm sure the first few flights, we have a paved runway, so I'll fly off the runway, see how it flies, and then see if I can pull the gear off, see how it flies without the gear, compared to difference. Uh, but in general, the kit, the plane looks really nice. It's got a pretty good surface finish, a very small cell foam. It's got a panel line detail. Uh, most of the details painted as far as it, uh, the, the color scheme goes. It's interesting. It's got several, uh, cooling and venting holes. It's got a sort of a NACA inlet on the bottom and an exit on the bottom of the fuselage. And I thought it was pretty clever on the nacelles for the motors where the real one, the wheels retract and do a 90 degree twist. They have sort of fake wheels in the center is opens for venting. Oh, cool. If I explain that correctly. And so there's some really good venting for the motors as well. Uh, no, you can't see the servos outside, which is nice. Everything's inside. Ailerons are on torque rods. I, I presume the servos are in the motor pods because I, I can't see them. Are they linear servos? Yeah, well, the two I see in the fuselage are linear servos. Okay. And they're connected to, to a brick. It looks like with built integrated speed controllers. And it looks like it might have an extra channel that's available. I see an unused connector in there. Sometimes they have uh, a port for the throttle in case you want to not use the built-in oh, speed Oh, okay, gotcha. Maybe that's I'm what just it guessing, is. but I, I've seen that. I, I can't tell what it is. The brick is too far in the fuselage to really tell. Uh, although it looks like the, the top turtle deck is held on by tape, so if you need to service it, I think you just slice the tape. You can pull the whole top off. It's got some clear tape on it. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, warranty, warranty void if removed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would avoid warranty anyways, cause they're using a JST connector for the battery and I'm not going to be using that. I was going to ask. Yeah. I'm going to go with a uh, micro Deans. I pretty much stopped using the JSTs for anything for the most part. Uh, Terry, did you mention that when we talked about the plane, you'd, uh, you might change the paint job to a Bob Hoover aircraft color? Um, no. Okay. It's not a bad idea, but I don't know if I committed myself to that. Uh, well, the paint scheme is really nice, as it is. So, uh, you'd have to repaint a bunch of it, I guess, if you were to do anything drastically different. So, I don't know how well you paint would cover this, but it'd be worth a try. Probably an interesting experiment. Now, it's got a carbon wing spar, too, which is nice. So, it looks like it's pretty. And a working rudder. Happy oh, to see cool. that. So it's a full house. That'll be useful when you do your one-engine ops. Yeah, I've been thinking about that, how to do that. And I've been mulling around a couple of different ideas. Uh, it doesn't look like it has a separate channel for the throttle, so it will have to be something I had to hack into something, I think. But we'll see. Mm, yeah. But I do. that's one thing I do plan to do is see if I can at least cut out one of the motors. On demand. Or just put variable pitch propellers on there. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's really neat. Maybe I'll get it to test flight this weekend. We'll see. I uh, look forward to flying it. Oh, my goodness, how are you so unexcited about trying this? Thing? I am excited. Just one of those things that I had stuff, bunch of stuff stacked up to do this weekend. So I'll have to sneak out. I think I'll be able to sneak out on Sunday. As a matter of fact. Let us know. I'll let you know. All right. I guess on that thought, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Go, go, Astro. Here come the Astros, burning with desire. Here come the Astros, breathing orange fire. Here come the Astros with winning 
We've mentioned before that we started another entry into our three view series where each of us build and fly the same model and present our usually differing opinions to the table. We had so much fun discussing our latest adventure that we seriously ran over time and we still didn't finish. So we decided to break it up into a multi-part series. Now we present to you part one of the Cub 3 view. So many episodes back, we did a feature that we called Three Views, where each of us basically reviewed the same airplane. And I think we all enjoyed that, and we wanted to do it again. Only this time, we wanted to try something a little different. And Lee's suggestion was, what was your suggestion, Lee? Well, that we do a, a kit, a balsa kit. A balsa kit, right. Which seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> you struggling a little, Terry? <laughs> Having some issues, Terry? I, all I can tell you is Fitz and I have flown hours, so what's your problem? It, it's, um, it's bringing back memories. You kind of forget <laughs> just cur- what's involved, I think. You're curling up into a little ball because your fingers are glued together? No, I haven't <laughs> been in the fetal position yet. <laughs> have you learned, not- learned new cuss words? <laughs> or have your children learn new cuss words. Well, right. Good thing there's no swear jar down in the basement. <laughs> um, no, actually, this has been fun, but I think we can all agree that it's more fun if you're not building to a timetable. Yes, agreed. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of this stuff I'm doing, if I didn't have a deadline staring in front of me, I could take my time a little more and enjoy it. But it's... I mean, it's still fun, but it's uh, under pressure. It's not as much fun as it could be. So, yeah, I'm still glad we did it. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way uh, since it was under a deadline, especially for Lee and I to get it to the fly-in. Uh, I took shortcuts or I didn't do things I, I would have liked to spend more time fiddling with or stuff. So I was, that was probably the only thing that I was a little perturbed about was not really getting to spend nice quality time with the kit and rushing through a few yeah. things. Right, so what kit did we choose? The Great Plains Electric Cub 2. Not the original version, but the part, updated version. Part 2. Right, and you have to put updated in quotation marks, because I think this kit dates back to the mid-90s, probably. The the Electric Cub 2 or the original Electric Cub? I think the 2. Oh, yeah. The 2. Yeah, the 2 does. Because the original one it dates back to the 80s. Right, one of the probably first produced electric models. So our criteria when choosing what plane to do was, I think, at least from my standpoint, I wanted one of the older designs because you get so much opportunity to update it with new equipment and change things. Pretty much guaranteed that we would each have a unique model, and I would say that we accomplished that. And the other criteria was that it still needs to be in production so that we could easily find three of them without you know, having to search eBay and addicts and things. And the good news is that there are still kits available out in this world, so we're not... <laughs> we haven't... The ARF market hasn't taken over completely. Oh, yeah. There's actually a lot of cottage businesses that, that are still making laser-cut kits and things, so that's not on as big a scale as it used to be, but you can find some really good stuff. Mm. Well, exactly. And I think... I mean, I think one of the other reasons we chose to go with a kit is to keep it alive you know make sure that people understand that yes you can you don't just have to buy a box like a commander that you open up and it's already ready to go although Fitz doesn't seem to want to fly his <laughs> but the fact that you would be able to go out there and build something and and tweak it and dare i say customize it a bit why would you dare say that that's an automatic because <laughs> <laughs> because i did <laughs> and how <laughs> Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this. Sure, go ahead, Fitz. Well, I just want a brief, brief thing, um, because one of the things, too, when, when, when the Electric Cub was first suggested, I actually was a little bit apprehensive about it, and uh, because I, I don't recall if I told you the story online before, but uh, I, I built an Electric Cub years ago, back in the late 80s. Yeah, it's on our... Version 1. Version yeah, 1. Yeah, you did. Which no. was a three-channel... Yeah. Right? No ailerons. Yes. No ailerons. Did they tell you about the my trials and tribulations with it? I don't remember. Oh yeah, you told yeah, you said it had a you know, turn it on and you run it like a pylon racer. 
<laughs> yes. Till the, til the battery went dead. Yes, we. You did tell us. Did I tell you about the tree incident? I don't think so. Ah. I don't recall the tree. Oh, okay, so there's more. There's more to the story. Uh, <laughs> where do I start? Okay, so early in my flying career, uh, I actually started with some electric planes really, really early on. But I wasn't very good at flying them, so I would crash a lot. And they'd hit the ground since they had no speed controller. When it crashed, the motor was still on, and I'd end up smoking the motor because I had no way I could install the prop. I'd install a prop, and the motor would just sit there trying to turn, and it would smoke itself because I couldn't get to the plane quick enough to disconnect the battery. Didn't a lot of those systems have inline fuses? Uh, yes, you were supposed to use a fuse, which I didn't. But I, oh, okay. but the cub, I spartan up and says, hey, I don't want to smoke any more motors. I'm going to use a fuse, and I'm going to use an electronic speed controller. At the time, I took and landing gear and landing gear. I said, "This is going to be a really nice setup. I'm going to have a speed controller. I'm going to put a fuse on it so I don't smoke the speed controller or the motor, and uh, it has landing gears, and uh, it'll be really nice." And so, uh, I actually had a, a circuit breaker instead of a fuse. I had a nice circuit breaker in there so I could reset it if I needed to. And so I proceeded to take off with the plane on the very first flight. Got up in the air. It was flying. And I was kind of happy, and then. I lost all control of it and <laughs> it had no throttle, but I had no steering or elevator or rudder or anything. And fortunately it was sort of in a level flat glide and it got snagged by a tree. And this is a nice new England giant tree. That's 50 feet up in the air or whatever. Uh, and, um, what I had done is I had put a fuse in it, but I had sized it improperly. Uh, I thought it was, I had a high enough current rating, but it didn't. So it popped the fuse in flight, and I lost all power when it happened. The fuse was between the battery and the radio system. It, yeah, and that was ah. <laughs> that was dumbass <laughs> move number two. Is I put it not between the motor and the speed controller. I put it between the battery and the speed controller. <laughs> hey, so when the fuse went, you lost everything. Yes. Um, nice. yes. Uh, and it, and sort of, you know, back then I didn't have an amp meter, so I had no idea what the system was pulling. I sort of guesstimated what it was pulling and I was wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, me and this other guy tried to get ladders and stuff to try to pull this thing out of the tree. And we ended up, I ended up not being able to get it out of the tree, but it eventually fell down on its own a couple of days later or something. And I, and I ended up putting it back together and fixing it and correcting that problem. And throughout the years, back in the, in the 90s, I ended up upgrading the power system on it eventually. I went to, I started hearing about gearboxes, and I found out that a, um, if you remember the old Magnetic Mayhem motors? Oh, yeah. Uh, that on one of those master air screw gearboxes, I think they were two and a half or three to one, where you get a couple different ratios. Uh, I stuck that in there on one of those Magnetic Mayhem on a gearbox, Swinging like it was some insane size prop, like eleven inch prop or something, eleven or twelve inch. It had almost no clearance, ground clearance on the thing, and I think an eight cell battery pack. But it flew really good. It was when the first electric airplanes I had that was you could do roll off ground off takeoff, roll off a ground takeoff. There we go, and it it had really good performance. Other than trying to mow the grass every time I took off, <laughs> and that was one of the first planes I really. Uh, I had that had really great performance. And so now we know we now we know why he put the motor that's in his current class. <laughs> <laughs> he went so, from can to geared to holy crap. Yes, and so that was is as Terry mentioned earlier, I was really curious how this plane, which I had built before, would fly on modern electronics, out brushless outrunner motor, lithium batteries, because I was still using the round cells last time I flew my old one. And so uh, so that's why I, when I thought about it I agreed, yeah, this will be a great project to see how it flies on modern equipment uh, so that's why I, I was fully on board once i thought about it for doing this model particular model oh, that's funny because my experience with the original electric cub is very similar i had a friend that i worked with who had been given one which was probably about 90 percent complete um, but he didn't really want to mess with it so i said hey give it to me and i'll finish it and finish it for you and then you can go fly it and so I think I did the same power system you did, the master air screw gearbox with a magnetic mayhem and eight, probably, um, the, what were the, the NICAD size cells? Like, 
1,700 milliamp hour something. Uh, subseas? Subseas, probably, yeah. Um, Those range from 1,700 to 3,000, depending on what you were flying, if you're nightcaps or nicobel hydrides. Well, well, I don't even think 3,000s were available at this time. This was probably turn of the century. Okay, um, so probably 17 to 2,400s was the usual range. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, I, this was when, I think, the CP-1700s. Remember those? Oh, the little ones. Used? Those? No, it was still what is CP? sub-seas. Yeah, I don't even remember. Uh, the, so, the head was that were a little shorter than sub-seas. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah. So Anyway, so put this in, finished it up with that, and like you said, it flew really great. You could rise off ground, and we put in a, a speed control, so it was a great flying model, and... I don't know if it's still around, but we flew the heck out of that thing. Mm. So, and, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what that one weighed, but it had to be three and a half pounds at least, probably closer to four. So, full-size servos in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, that was a, a good inspiration for helping to choose this one. So I think for all of us, it's been a little while, at least, since we built a kit from open box to flying, a balsa kit, that is. So, Fitz, how long for you before this? Yeah, I actually had to look that up, and uh, it's been four years. It was 2013 was the last time I built a kit. Uh, wow. Yeah. It was funny, I built two in one year. <laughs> um. It probably takes about that long. What? Six months each? Yeah, something like no, that. No, no, I built them pretty quickly. I think I built one and liked it and started fin- I decided to finish another one. Uh, and funny enough, it was the F8 Crusader was the last one I built. Oh, right. That's what we were talking about earlier. Because that's an all-wood kit. All right. What about you, Lee? Uh, it's been sooner than that. I uh, finished up my Craft Air Golden Eagle glider. Yeah, I remember you finishing it. What form did it start? Uh, a box. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is a f- <laughs> it is a fiberglass fuselage. Okay, uh, I was thinking you had bought something at a swap meet that was already started a little bit. Oh, if I do, those don't <laughs> usually go to the kids and they don't last long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's the the last uh, balsa kit and covered it and flew it. I haven't put it on a high start yet, but yeah, that's uh, that was a lot of work, but I. I like you were mentioning before. I had more time to do that, and I, you know, I, gosh, <laughs> that has been like a, a several year project. So I grab a piece and do it, and you know, get back to it. Yeah, but I'm I'm very happy on how it turned out. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures. It looks good. Well, for me, it's been I think about two years, and both of my recent balsa builds have been smaller type things. One was. One of the Stevens Aero model indoor jobs that uses the the uh, the little bricks, the UMX bricks. Mm. So it's still a balsa kit, but you know it's a very simple one. And before that, it was the Retro RC Eastbourne monoplane, which is another small kit, but it's quite detailed and has a lot of parts. So I would call that one my most recent mm. actual full scale build. And, uh, Anyway, so I was excited to, to get back into it. And get back into it, we did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's go over the kit real quick. It's The one we talked about originally was a three-channel. This is the version two, which is a four-channel. So it has ailerons, and they included provision to use a gearbox. But let's be clear, this is an old kit, so when you open the plants, they're still talking about a canned, closed end-bell motor with NICADs, and I think it shows many servos, um, but it still shows a toggle switch instead of a speed control and a fuse. Yeah, the instructions have not been updated at all, but they did replace the box sticker, which is funny, (laughs) because that's what fits... Kind of kept telling me, he goes, well, I just went with what they said on the box. <laughs> For what? For his motor, the choice oh, of his motor, oh. <laughs> which is extremely overkill. <laughs> Some guy just said, uh, put a 25 on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the new intern. 
<laughs> that was supposed to be a one. <laughs> so. All right, so uh, let's let's open up the kit. What did you guys think of the the quality of the kit and the stuff you get? Fits. Uh, it's a mixed bag. I thought that the wood itself, I thought was actually generally pretty good as far as the balsa wood and the die cutting. I thought it was, in, in, for the most part, pretty good. I was surprised to see that they've started using laser cutting for some of the parts. Uh, yeah, it's a mixture of die cut and laser. Yeah, cutting. I thought that was yeah, interesting. Uh, and to me, the funnier part is that the least precise fitting parts—is that the good? Or the worst fitting parts in the kit were the laser cutters. Yeah, yeah, which didn't make any sense at all. That was—is that everybody's experience? Yes. Yeah, I concur. They, I concur. They had a serious problem with their laser cutting parts, with the horizontal tail part, which, uh, which I had, I had to make some strategic trimming and surgery to get the pieces to line up with the plans. I think they brought a metric laser cutter to the <laughs> yeah. building. What do you mean? It was, <laughs> it was a, it was, it was a bad. It was really bad. Those tail surfaces did not fit well together, and I had to fill every gap. Okay, well, that's interesting. I want to talk about how we address that. So for me, um, you know, when you put the parts down over the plan as you build it, you can see that they're not lining up. So it sounds like you guys modified the parts to make them match the plans. Yes. I just let the parts line up and went with the new profile. <laughs> it, okay. It was close enough. I mean, who's going to pick that's that true. up? That's true. You're not doing any scale competition. Yeah, I, and there are still some gaps to contend with, but mm. I feel like that was the easier route than you know, trying to I, I, Okay, I kind of did what Terry did, and this is what was my solution. I think the biggest problem was the way the curves fit. All the laser cuts were at right angles. So when you put the curved pieces together, you had this huge gap facing the outside. So I did one side. Let's start with the elevator. I did one elevator first and pushed everything together and glued it and then flipped it over and redrew the line on the other side. Ah. So that way, when I did the other side, it would at least be the same crazy shape as the other. And it worked, but I had to fill all the gaps with, uh, I did a mixture of uh, sawdust and uh, and uh, wood glue. Oh, it's funny, because the way I did it, um, like I said, I just pieced the parts the way they fit together best. The gaps were on the inside. <laughs> what? Yeah. Really? And, and we should clarify, the parts we're talking about form the perimeter of the rudder and elevators. And then you fill in the ribs with, I guess, just stick balsa. Um, so anyway, my gaps were on the inside, so I just took some 64th plywood and cut it into a thin strip and put it along that inside um, line. Rather than filling in the gaps. I don't know about you, Fitz, but I'm imagining his elevators are like twice the normal size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how much does this weigh, too? <laughs> it's a, it's a 3D cup now. The, <laughs> they're close to the plans. So, that, anyway, that, it's just uh, different ways of addressing. We, and I think we're blowing the severity of the the problem out of proportion. Oh, I don't but, know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and disagree with you there because I I have my notes here. Of <laughs> you know, guys, I'm the complainer of the group, but I wrote down all my notes about what irked me about this kit or what I enjoyed about this kit. And I got to tell you, I disagree with you, Fitz. Every piece of wood I had in my box, I was really unhappy with because all most of the die cuts that I had were not good. I had to cut through a lot. In fact, a couple of pieces would not push through, and I think there was one piece that I, you know, just kind of got angry and pushed real hard and, huh. and broke it. <laughs> so, so I didn't. I must have had this bad, you know, stamp. Uh, but that also being said, there was a time when the laser cut wood, um, the quality was different. So the laser cut through some wood really well. Like there was this one piece of balsa, and I'm I'm not sure how they grade balsa. I don't know what how that scale is. And, and the different varieties. But there was one uh, piece density, of laser. Right? Well, I, I'm sure there's a density, but there might be, you know, different, you know. It's density plants. weight, I think. Well, I mean, well, there could be different varieties of balsa. I mean, just I, whatever it was, this one piece was great. Everything pushed right through. It was really nice and hard and stiff. But I had another piece that was the opposite side, like the other side of the yeah, elevator. Right. And mm. it was a totally different piece of wood. So I was really unhappy with the variety that I had. And in particular, and I don't know about you guys, but the that bleached ply 
that really cheap layered plywood for yeah. formers yeah. was awful. It kept coming apart on me. I mean, there were several times I had to re-glue the layers, the laminate, yeah. on my pieces. Yeah, that was the part I really was not impressed with it either, was that the plywood they used was just too light. It delaminated, and the die cut was very subpar. Um, it, maybe they were trying to save a lot of weight in the initial run of these kits using that type of wood, but... It was really, you had to be really careful using it because it was kind of inadequate in some, in some ways. Hmm. I, I know some of mine delimited along the border where it got cut, but hmm. I never thought this isn't strong enough for its job. Well, yeah, it's or, strong enough. It just, it was really, I don't know, just poor quality or just the type of was. It just was uh, flaky, flimsy. I, I, I don't know what kind of ply it is. It's very, very light ply. Um, but, yeah, it was. It, like I said, it was like a bleached, very pale yeah. ply. And I, I, I'm going to attribute most of the problems I had with the wood was with the die cut. You know, they were using the die cuts from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, and they hadn't been sharpened. That's weird you say that because for me, the balsa wood, the die cut was actually pretty good. I didn't really have much of an issue with it. It was the ply that I had problems with the die cut. I had that reject box. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's funny because I kind of felt like some parts were really good and some parts were, eh. And I would have some sheets of also where one half of the width was pretty dense and then the other half yeah. of that same sheet was oh. loose. But again, I observed all those things, but I never felt like, oh, this is so bad, I need to replace it. Hmm. It's just kind of, eh, I need to spend a few more minutes sanding this side. Or well, I'll give you another. I'll give you another pro con about the wood, and we can move on. But I will say, besides that, the the quality for me wasn't very good, and there were a couple pieces I had to recut. Uh, the one thing I did like in this kit that I don't have in other kits uh, is that most every piece that you had to use had a label on it, whether it was written with ink or it was stamped in. Yeah, and that certainly is a, a benefit. I think. Every modern kit should yeah, have, that was have very a nice. clear a clear label so that you don't you're not flipping through several sheets trying to find it. Now, yeah, some of those that were stamped in you had to hold it to the light a certain way. But I don't feel like I was ever missing a piece, mm. you know, because I was just struggling to try to to you know, cut a piece or something. Right. And the manual gives you uh, an atlas there. It tells you which parts are on which Oh yeah, sheets. yeah, that had helped too in the very I used beginning. That several times. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm gonna ask this question. Did did Either of you have to use any scrap balsa in your collection to finish this plane? Uh, not to finish, but I did mess up one piece. I incorrectly trimmed it, and so I had to use a piece of scrap balsa to to, to clone it. Um, but that was a mistake on my part. Um, but I didn't. I don't recall using any extra pieces. I was a little worried, but no, I didn't use anything extra. Why did you? Yeah. I did, and of course I made other modifications that required more wood, so yeah. I'm not going to attribute it. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's I'm not. I mean, I'm not, oh, I'm not. I'm not. That's not my blame. But it's like <laughs> I did feel like I had to get some other pieces of wood or uh, or, or perhaps, uh, you know, yes, I've done this, you know, I build several kits in my lifetime, mm. but anybody can make a mistake. You you quickly, you're moving quick or something. You yeah. go, oh, I cut that too short. Or I, I flipped it when I wasn't, you know, when I or put it through the... Two left wing panels. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I felt like I did need extra wood. And so I wanted to quickly add that even though I know seeing online and you, you know, built a cub as your first plane or a beginner plane, there were some things about this kit that I felt you need to have a little bit more experience building it than opening this box and doing your first model airplane. Let's not advertise as a trainer. Well, but I'm, you know, just saying I would never, it's priced pretty inexpensive and most people would consider a cub as a good first plane in general. Hmm. Mm, kind of, sort of, but I wouldn't recommend a cub as a first plane to anybody for the most part. They're, they're trainer-ish, but they can be a little quirky, especially being a tail dragger. I hear where you're coming from, Lee, and I agree. This kit is not for first-time builders. No. Even when I built my first one, it was maybe the second or third kit I had built. Yeah. And, well, let's let's keep going here. Um, I thought the manual was good, and I thought the plans uh, I had no issues with. Yeah. Um, anything from you guys? Uh, on that? I agree with Terry. I didn't have any really issues. I think Lee might have had a minor one, didn't you? <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> this is this Wizards is definitely. Or uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I will agree. I'll agree. The, the you get the Russian good. kit. 
<laughs> I mean, besides the fun part about opening the plans and seeing the can motor and the mounts and, you know, here's where you put the switch, the on-off switch for your motor. Um, no, everything, that that was fine. The, the thing I got myself stuck, you know, I, I put myself in a huge uh, quicksand mess was I had split my plans up from wing to fuselage and stuff. And because I, I trimmed a certain part of the plans, which I, when I look back at it, I go, I know that piece was upside down. I missed the part on that dihedral cut. So I'm looking at the plans and saying, you know, find D9 or whatever it was. And I could not find that piece anywhere. And it says, if you look at the picture, you'll see it. I'm looking at the wing. I've got all the wing plans, you know, up on the table. And I'm going, where is this D piece they're talking about? I could not find it. So I just circled that instruction and said, I'll get back to it. <laughs> and then, of course, I ran into the holes. I mean, that's a long story. I don't know if we want to take it here. But, you know, one of the biggest complaints I had was that darn dihedral gauge. And, you know, I'm going to say to this point, mine was 90 degrees. There was no dihedral in my dihedral gauge. <laughs> it's funny because that was on my radar because you had said something about it during your build. But had you not said something to me, I'm not sure I would have, like, even suspected something was up there. I think it would have been too dumb to check in detail to see that there's an issue. And I'll agree with you, there is an issue. There's a discrepancy between what the plans show and what the manual says. But if you're just going off the manual and you read it and you never bother to reference the plans, then the parts just go together. If I had seen that piece on the plans I and I, and I pulled the piece out, I would have never thought about measuring it until I was struggling trying to find it. And then I said, okay, well, this is it. What's the, what, out of curiosity, what is the angle? You know, I just kind of asked myself that. And then I'm putting it up to my right angle ruler, and it's true. <laughs> it's 90 degrees. <laughs> now, Fitz made a point I, when we talked about this, and you were like, Go, don't tell me too much. I want to build this plane myself and, you know, find all the nuances. But, you know, Fitz had mentioned, well, if it's just a little bit, I'll just sand it, you know, to make it fit. And those are those lessons we learn when we build kits. We go... At this point, I know I could sand a little to make it work, but someone who's reading the instructions trying to follow them to a T might say, why, why don't these line up? What did I do wrong? And I guess that's kind of where I was taken. Is like, if I'm going to follow these instructions, this dihedral piece should have dihedral in it. And it didn't. And although I think, I don't know about you, Terry, but I know that I fixed mine, <laughs> you know, because I actually added too much dihedral when I decided to, to, to take the drawing on the plan and actually make a dihedral piece. And it was completely wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that dihedral was way too much. I guess we should point out there's a secondary uh, dihedral adjust. Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Crutch? Uh, which you make when you put the wings halves together. You put this piece under one of the wings, and it gives you the correct amount of dihedral. So the the little thing that we were talking about sets the center rib angle. But you still have a, a, a secondary dihedral measurement when you put the full wings together to really get it spot on. Yeah, and I think what threw Lee off, my theory is that the dihedral brace that they show on the plans is from the original version of the kit that didn't have ailerons mm. and there had, therefore had more dihedral. And then when they changed it with ailerons and took out the dihedral, they didn't fix that part. So I think he was aiming for that much dihedral and then the parts he had in front of him didn't meet that. Mm. So are we, so let me ask you this question then. Does, does, does your plane have dihedral? Because if you use that gauge, it's 90 degrees, which means you have what? I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I use that gauge. I set the ribs, everything fit together with the included gauge. <laughs> so I don't know if, again, because you just you know, got me, Got that issue on my radar, and I just kind of nuanced it to make it work. But I used the parts as they were with no modifications, and they went together the way mm. they should. I, I thought I read that line on the top of the box. Is that this box is for Lee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I, uh, I hope that's – I'm not going to drag this out. I just had an issue with setting that dihedral. Uh, I did tweak it. I Using my experience, I fixed it. It's all working good. You know, I've got a wing. I'm moving on. But I will just say, if you're building a kit, you're using these instructions, it's good to second guess. It's good to, to, to challenge, hey, is that instruction right? But 
you know, <laughs> if you're Terry, just burn right through. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it says. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, that is so not my motto. <laughs> I was trying to sound obnoxious. <laughs> well, mission accomplished. <laughs> All right. What, is, this what else? I mean, is this the Hedral Gate Part 2? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This was uh, definitely less. Hey, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking down the list here because I thought I'd mention this. You know, we talked about the dihedral. Did you set it right? One thing I'd like to make a compliment. This is one of my good check marks here on my list that I was really proud of for this balsa kit. And that's having a very straight and true fuselage that required no shimming when I installed the fin and the horizontal stab. Mm. I mean, I was really glad because there was no, I didn't have a, a framing rig. I had everything on the plans. I had my little blocks. You know, I use those little straight weights, uh, you know, my little bricks that I use uh, just to make sure everything was straight up. But I was really, you know, I think I did a little fump, uh, fist pump when I was looking at everything and holding my ruler and put my, my level there. And I, that's probably the first time I've ever built a balsa fuselage that was that true. Well, there you go. Uh-huh. Okay, that's me. How about you guys? Did y'all have the opposite? <laughs> <laughs> what, not supposed to be banana-shaped? <laughs> <laughs> no, mine came together um, like it should. I think it could go either way because the way they tell you to do it. And I, I guess it's like every fuselage. You build the square parts first, and then you pinch the tail together. Yeah. And if you do a poor job of pinching the tail together, it's going to be crooked. So if you pay attention there, you're good to go. Yeah, same for me. I didn't have a problem with it, but I was extra careful before I glued anything. Make sure when I pinched the tail together, it was it looked straight, everything looked fine, looked down the line. So, uh, so so it's kudos to their construction technique that they have instructions to how to build a fuselage. That all three of us ended up with a straight fuselage with not much effort. Right, and it's the computer completed structure is very torsionally rigid. Yeah, yeah, it is. So if you build it straight, it's going to stay straight. Well, this concludes part one of the Electric Hub 3 view. Join us next time for part two, where we discuss the finer details of our builds. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.